It's Sunday, it's raining, we must be at church. There we are. (laughs) It's been a summer of of Sunday rain. I hope you enjoyed the the quiz on the way in, all these different phrases that are uh, found in society, but not found in the Bible, but attributed to the Bible. I laugh at how many uh, Ben Franklin quotes (laughs) people believe are biblical. You know, penny saved is a penny earned, stitch in time saves nine. Sounds like Proverbs. No, that's just Ben. But anyway... Kind of fun, fun quiz to just kind of get us get us thinking about uh, what's what's really what's really in the Bible. Yeah. So, got a couple things uh, right off the bat that we want to talk about today. One thing we don't talk about very often these days is um, giving and how to give around here. Yeah. You know, it's funny when go back a million years ago when I was in seminary. If there had been a professor that was suggested there will come a day in the church that a, that a basket won't be passed on Sunday morning, I'd be like, you crazy. That's just never going to happen. You took like basket passing 101. Right, right. Well, well and, and as a Catholic kid, if you, if you, did, if you were come from Catholic, they used to have the basket on a stick, and that thing would, it would, it would come there and just kind of wait until you were willing to put in enough, that kind of thing. Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. So anyway, um, but giving around here has moved away from passing a basket to uh, you give online yeah. through, your, through the app, which is pretty cool. Yeah. How's that worked for you? Well, I was one of the last people to, to join the, the online revolution. I still, I liked writing my paper checks. And then my mom, of all people, said, you need to get with the times, loser. Um, <laughs> and she said it just about that delicately. <laughs> and so I, I started um, giving for, for Riley and I online through the Church Center app, and it, it has actually turned out to be pretty awesome. Uh, I love the ability to, to have it connected either to a bank account or a credit card or however you choose to, um, to give your offering. And along with that, it, it allows you to set up automatic withdrawals. So you can set up a, a weekly amount, a monthly amount, um, an annual amount. You can, or you can just do it like I do. I don't have those set. I just, I know that when I am going to do it, we do it every two months, and I just plug in that number the, the first Sunday of the second month because um, I like going through the process of actually doing that myself rather than mm-hmm. it just being an automatic thing. Um, so a lot of different options, a lot of, a lot of cool things about being able to, to give online. And for some of you, you're still a little nervous about, you know, what if the app is corrupted or, or what if I don't want people to know who I am, where I am. They know, believe me. But anyway, um, you own a phone, they know. Uh, you, can, you can also go through your own bank. A lot of people set up through their bank just like bill payment, mm-hmm. and then the check arrives here. Or you can, you can write a check or give cash through the little black box there on the way out the door. So wide variety of ways to give. I, I, I'm nonstop impressed with the generosity of the people of Southfield. And, um, and that generosity is not just about paying bills or you know, keeping a building going or something like that. God, God asks us, commands us to give because he's trying to teach us generosity. We're, we're born, we're born with clutch fists. We're born selfish. And God finds different ways of saying, release, release the grip trust me. And this is one of the many ways that, that we learn how to trust God. Yeah, and you get to see a lot of cool things happen. When, you, when that becomes the priority, when that's the first 10% or whatever you give, and seeing, you know, it's going to feel tight this month or it's going to feel tight with inflation or whatever, watching the way that God works to make up for that, that fear that we have um, is, is incredible. And I, this is going to sound really, really bad, and I, I don't mean it to, uh, but I don't really give to many charities. 
The reason being is because um, I know that our church leadership team, our overseers, do a diligent job of making sure that everybody that Southfield supports, whether that's an organization like Samaritan's Purse, whether that's a family in need, whether that's an organization like Green Lake, um, any, any organization that we use funds for from our church, from our giving pool to support, uh, they, they do the work of making sure that it's all biblically in line, that everything that they do is in accordance with what the Word of God says. So by giving to Southfield, you can know that you're not just giving to our programs, which, again, we use, we use uh, money for programs and everything to make sure that everything is, is running to the, the best of its ability, but we also give to a, a variety of groups that, again, we make sure are 100% biblically aligned. Because in these days, I mean, there, there's so many different cool organizations that sound like they have great causes, and then you read the fine print, and you're like, yeah, well, they keep 35% of the, everything off the top. Or... Uh, yeah, we, we give the majority of the money to this cause, but we also support some social causes that might not be in line with what God wants. Mm -hmm. So, um, so by, by giving to Southfield, you can know that we are not just keeping the money here in the building, but it's, it's leaving and, and going to places and causes and people who are in line with, with what the Word of God says. Thanks. I appreciate that. So they, you know, we got the church app. You can give through that. You can join a group through that. You can get an event through that. You can even check your schedule of what's going on at church and what you're involved in through that app. Another app that we really love is called Dwell. And, and I love even the name because the concept is to dwell on the Word of God. Just take the time to stop, reflect, think about what the Word of God is saying. There's several different ways that we can receive the Word of God. One way to receive it is to read it. And, and I read, I read a lot. I would have to admit in college when I took composition, I was taught the concept quite clearly that a well-written book, the first sentence of the paragraph kind of says it all and the rest is the, de the detail filling in the thesis. So if it's a well-written book, a lot of times I'm not reading every line. I'm, I'm getting the big idea and moving from there or, or zeroing in on certain parts. Can't do that with the Bible. With the Bible, you want the whole thing. But my brain is trained to be a little bit jumpy. So dwell gives you the opportunity to hear the Word of God, to listen to it. And you can do that through the Bible app as well, uh, which I'm using for my one year through the Bible. I'm in Isaiah right now, just finished Job and Ecclesiastes. That was an uplifting little season. Now we're into the brighter parts of Isaiah. But anyway... Um, and to, to listen to the Word of God and receive it that way, it slows us down. And the way they've designed this app, I think, is brilliant. You, can, you have the ability to select um, version, the voice that'll read it to you, background music that's going with it. You can actually have a little season of reflection after the reading to just be quiet and listen to the music. Uh, you can actually hit the speed button ramp it up a little bit if you want all these it's a lot it's got a lot of different variety and part of what we love about it is we were able to create a southfield group and within the group we do a number of playlists usually playlists that are associated with what we're teaching in that particular month so you know throughout the summer we were doing the second timothy play uh second timothy in 13 minutes or less you could listen to the book well for the month of september we're going to be looking at we're going to be looking at the trustworthiness of the word of god and so we thought it would be a really good idea to listen to Psalm 119. How many verses in Psalm 119? Putting me on the spot. Bummer. Oh allergies going. I, I, he's got he's a little Allegra D going here. Anyway, um, 176 verses. It's the longest. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. All right. 
uh, two chapters before the shortest, just two verses, 176 verses. And when you read that particular uh, chapter, it's, it's not just a straight shot of verse after verse after verse. It's divided into sections, usually around eight verses, sometimes six, sometimes nine, but around eight verses. And above each of those sections, it's got a word that you don't particularly recognize. It's a foreign language. So like when you look at the verse section, it's got the, it's got the word A-L-E-P-H above it. And that's the word Aleph, which is the Hebrew letter A. The next one is B-E-T-H. That's not Beth, it's Bet. So you have A, B, and there are 22 letters in all. So there are 22 sections. Now this is the the beauty of the creativity of the Word of God. The psalmist is expressing his love for God, his love for God's Word. He's really talking about it very relationally. So, in each of those sections, let's say you go to the one that has Aleph above it, the letter A, every verse then in that section, all eight verses, start with the letter A. You don't see that in English, but in Hebrew, every one of those start with the letter A. You come to Beit, Everyone starts with the letter B and on and through. So incredible creativity as he's working in cooperation with the inspiration of the Spirit of God. So I'd love for you, whether it is listening to it all at once, you can listen to it in 19 minutes, uh, or you can one and a half times it and shorten it a little bit. I wouldn't go more than two, or it's like having Mickey Mouse read the Bible to you, and it just does not feel very sacred at all. Um, you can do that. We've also divided it out into 22 sections so that you can listen to a section each day uh, for 22 days. But best you go ahead, Brian, this morning and, and read Psalm 119, 1 to 24 for us. Riley came to you, the rescue. You are equipped. He didn't have these in the first, so he was making up the Bible, which yeah. is a sin, okay? It's real so. interesting. <clears throat> Started talking about the bears. It was not good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all of their hearts. They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his paths. You have charges to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees, and please don't give up on me. Hmm. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. Hmm. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the, righteous, or all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect in your ways. I would delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Be good to your servant, that I may live and obey your word. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. I'm only a foreigner in the land. Don't hide your commands from me. I am always overwhelmed with a desire for your regulations. You rebuke the arrogant. Those who wander from your commands are cursed. Don't let them scorn and insult me, for I have obeyed your laws. 
Even princes sit and speak against me, but I will meditate on your decrees. Your laws please me, for they give me wise advice. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word, for letting us know who you are. We come to this day in September and the clouds are full and the sky is pouring down rain. And there's a piece of me that's grateful for that rain today. Not just because it waters the ground and refreshes us, but the sky is very different from the sky of 21 years ago. When we looked in the sky and it was just an absolute clear blue, so beautiful. A perfect day, we thought. A perfect day that was blown up. And we've never been the same ever since. For weeks and weeks, smoke filled that clear sky. Individuals' lives were changed forever, and our nation's life was changed forever. In all the change and all the pain, you are a constant. It was during that season that you, you woke some of us from a, from a season of a abundance and apathy to look at bigger issues, to think about the fact that we might go to work and we might not come home from work, that we might go to school and not come home from school, that somebody we love that we waved goodbye to this morning may not be on this earth this afternoon. And it caused some of us to, to dig for spiritual answers. And it gave us a chance to have conversations with people about the things that really matter. It's sad, Lord, that it takes us driving right up to the edge of death to face it. But we're grateful that you do allow those moments in our lives that tragedy strikes and we can observe it and it prompts questions. Questions that lead us to answers that can only be found in you. Thank you for your word and for revealing yourself to us. We pray for your continual healing of our broken hearts and lives. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Last Sunday was Labor Day. I really appreciate the fact that our country takes the time every year to celebrate work, to celebrate hard work, to take a day away from work to celebrate hard work. And I, I, love, I love the opportunity to admire people doing hard work whether it is the hard work done with brain and pencil and computer or the hard work done with a hammer or a crane or whatever it might be. I, I love being able to admire hard work in part because we know that the Bible tells us that we are created in the image of God and God is a worker. And so when we work, we actually get an idea of, of a reflection of the nature of God. Work isn't the result of the curse. It's not the result of, of, the, of the fall. Your hatred for Monday is the result of the flaw of the fall. But work, work is an expression of the design of God within us. 
as well as that day we take off every week to rest, that's a reflection of the design of God within us as well. I just, I stop every once in a while and watch other people work, and I am so impressed. In our neighborhood these days, I don't know why, but out of the clear blue, it seems like everyone is replacing their roof. Maybe it's because all our houses are between 20 and 25 years old and, and magic hail hide and finally hit us. Who knows why? But, but roof after roof after roof is being replaced. And there's usually a sign out front for a couple of days, and then a truck pulls up. And spiders crawl out of the truck, and they start crawling all over the house. It's, it's amazing to watch. You know, this, this crew is just up there, and they're, they're ripping the roof off and getting the paper down and putting the new shingles on all within a day. If it's Dennis, I'm still standing at the top of the ladder going, I don't want to go on the roof. No, I don't like going on the roof. I hate going on the roof. I don't want to go on the roof. I love watching people do hard work. And I love looking at certain finished projects and asking the question, how in the world can a human do that? I mean, I look at tall buildings, what used to be called the Sears Tower. It's hard not to still call it the Sears Tower. I'm sorry. Look at that big old building standing there. I'm like, how did they do that? How is it still standing? How did they get plumbing all the way to the top? I just said, you get the first two floors. After that, you're on your own. How did they get electricity all the way up there? How does the elevator go all the way to the top? How, when the wind comes off Lake Michigan, does that thing not go boom and hit Joliet? How does this happen? I plant a bush in my yard, and the first wind, it's down. And I'm out picking. How did they do that? It's mind-blowing to me. Or the building of a bridge. I mean, have you ever just taken the time to be fascinated by a bridge. Maybe as you're leaving today, you've got to go on 55 and you'll sit on that bridge out there, the one that shakes more than most bridges. It's kind of interesting you're sitting there and it's doing this rumble thing. You know, like, what's that all about? Anyway, let's hear it. Go, 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 go. But nonetheless, the idea that people can start on one landmass over here and another landmass over here and build a span that goes between the two. And some are huge. The Mackinac Bridge, five miles long. That, that Sunshine Skyway between St. Pete and Sarasota, seven miles long. It's unimaginable to me that you can build a bridge and that, and that a truck can go over it. Or that, think about this, during the daily, hourly, minutely, traffic jams on I-80, that, that the trucks will actually line up on that bridge and it's still standing, holding all that weight. How do they do that? Now, I know some of you, some of you are going to stop me after and you're going to explain it. I'm going to go, I don't care. It's mind-blowing to me. It's crazy. I, you can explain it till Jesus comes. I don't get it. I'm fascinated. So I thought it would be pretty cool if our church would take on Maybe not a project that big, a smaller one, but one that, one that kind of blows our minds away. Been thinking about a bridge. You see, when I, when I walk down Canal, I come down to Sable Locks, and there's a bridge that I like because it takes me from the restroom on over to where I park and back. And for better than a year, they've had a fence blocking that particular bridge because apparently one of the boards rotted out and they don't want us to fall through. Very kind of them. And so I've been kind of watching and wondering and waiting for, you know, when is my extra 19 cents a gallon going to be used to fix my bridge? I'm ready. Fix my bridge. Come on, fix the bridge. So I was really excited this week. I pull up and, and, and there was progress. They put up a nicer fence. 
It's better than the first one. Much, much, yeah, it, we're, we're safer than we were before. So let's say I could finally figure out who the government entity is that I need to contact, and I say, Southfield Church wants, they want to fix the bridge. I mean, we got the people, we got engineers, they can doodle and figure it out. We, we got crane operators, we got, we, got, we got it all, man. We can do this. Let us, let us fix the bridge for you. And let's just say they say, yes. Cool. Of course, we all need to bring our tools and we're bringing our tools, and, and let's just imagine that Amazon and the ever-wise Jeff Bezos has come up with a, with a new, this fascinating new thing on Amazon. You see, because there becomes this national movement. This national movement is going on that, um, that wants to make sure that all numbers are treated with equal kindness. And, and, and some people are really feeling bad for, for anything that's not afoot. Why is it that 12 inches gets to be named a foot and nothing else gets commendation? Why 12 inches? Why not 2 inches? Poor 2 inches. feel sorry for 2 inches. I, I think 2 inches should be a foot. And then you have the religious people. 7, the number of God. Make 7. 7 is now the official foot. To which the Satanists and the atheists say, 6, 6, 6. And now you got that going too. And then, and then of course, <laughs> there will be the purists. A foot is 12 inches, period. It never changes, world without end, 12 inches. And then there are the people who go, man, if you gathered 20 inches, you deserve special credit. That's a foot. And we all show up with our official Amazon self-designed tape measure, and we're now going to build the bridge. Start to imagine this thing. I know this about that bridge. I will not be the first one to walk over it. And I will probably never walk over it. And it's going to look like something out of a Dr. Seuss book. Because we recognize that when we're going to build something collectively, we need the same standard to get there. You can't have everybody bringing their own standard to the table and come up with something that's going to work. And that's why we as a community of believers follow the Word of God. Because we all need the same moral foot. You can't self-design your moral tape measure and have a community that functions properly. We have to agree on this is a foot. This is objective truth. Here it is. And so as a group of believers, we have chosen to trust the Bible. But here's the thing. Some people aren't believers. And they're saying, you know, it's neat that you want the Bible, but why not the Koran? Why not Tom Sawyer? Why not Grapes of Wrath? Why not my favorite comic? Why in the world do we have to go with the Bible as the standard? Why do we need to use the Ten Commandments as a standard morality? Why not something else? And so I want to spend some time during this month asking the question, can I trust the Bible? For a lot of you, you're already there. You're like, of course I trust the Bible. I, I, I believe in it with my whole heart. And some of the others of you, you show up and you're being polite, but in your heart you're going, these people are whack. Following a book that's 2,000 plus years old? Really? And you're polite about it. You're not saying much. But deep in your heart you're kind of going, I don't get it. I don't know why you're all trusting this. And so, so I'd like to take some time to look at the Word of God and ask the question, can I trust this book? Maybe, you know, maybe your mom and your dad trust this book and, and you've grown up in church and now it's your turn to decide, is this a trustworthy standard or should I be turning my attention somewhere else? 
So we're going to look at things like the way the book was composed. We're going to look at some of the criticism that is geared toward it. We're going to look at things that people see as contradictions. I'd like to even look some at, at, at translations to just get an idea of why would I use this translation for this and that translation for that. But before we even open the leather covers to look at the book and see what it says about the book, I want to go, I want to go even further a little back and talk not just about the book, but about the author and the audience. I want to talk about the source of the book as well as the reader. Who's the one receiving it? Let's start with the author. So you go to the very first verse of the Bible. Can you imagine you're about to write the Bible? What would your first verse be? What's the first thing you would say? The words God shows, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Talk about a summary statement. I'm, I'm telling you this, folks. In the beginning, the beginning of what? Well, the beginning of creation, because God was before all this, and he will be long after it, but there's this season in time that he decided to do some creating. In the beginning, God, who's God? You're going to find out if you read the rest of the book. In the beginning, God created. He made something. He brought something together. What did he bring together? The heavens and the earth. And that opening statement is the thesis, and everything flows after it. Everything after it explains to us what this world is all about, who made this world, and all the pieces in between. We call this revelation. Now, when you hear revelation, you think of the last of the 66 books. You think of the one at the end with dragons and all that kind of stuff. Revelation is not just a book. Revelation is a process. It's a process of, of making something known. God is a revealer. God has chosen to make some things known. He wants us to know some things about him and about ourselves. He makes himself known through a process called revelation. There are two kinds of revelation. The first kind we're going to call general revelation, or it's also known as natural revelation. Psalm 19 starts by saying, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. You go out into a clear night sky and you start staring at all those stars. You, you have a new baby born into your family and you stare at fingers and toes and say, how in the world? How did this happen? What, what, what in the world? Can't believe it. You, you one day are just kind of enamored. You, your fingers do the clicking and get you to the proper station and you stop and you go, this thing. I couldn't make one of those complete with nails. Look at that. Look at that. And you're fascinated by just the way your hand operates, or you look at a blade of grass, or, or a particular kind of bird that's shrieking over you as it's going by. You're looking at all these things, and you're taking them in. For me, it was driving through Montana. I had seen mountains in my life. I had seen the Adirondack Mountains. I had, seen my, I had never seen a mountain so high covered in snow. And Kim still laughs at me when she thinks of me driving down that highway, staring at that mountain, just dumbfounded, my jaw wide open. Look at that mountain. And they had more and more and more and more. It was fascinating. It was breathtaking. I can't believe how beautiful mountains are. All of these things are general revelation. God created all this so that, so that we would do this, so that we would go, wow, wow, 
Wow. Uh, Romans continues to say it. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Whether it's the book of Psalms or Paul in Romans, he's saying when you look at creation, it evokes a wow. You're just, you're, you're mind blown. And if it isn't evoking a wow, look closer. It should. And then the wow, the wow leads us to some questions. How? How in the world did this happen? Why? Why in the world is this stuff here? Who? Who in the world is behind all of this? That's what general revelation does. General revelation causes us to be amazed and to start asking the how, the why, and the who questions. Now, he goes on in Romans to say that they saw all creation, and what they started to do is fill in their own blank. They decided what they would define God to be. They were dark and they were confused because general revelation is not enough. We need something further. We need something further known as special revelation or supernatural revelation or divine revelation. This takes us from the wow and the questions to answers to the questions. God has spoken to us. He answers the questions. How does he do it? There are many different forms of special revelation. One is just the appearances, the time that God appeared to human beings. We saw it in Genesis chapter 3, just three chapters into the Bible. The Lord comes and walks with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. And we see other times in the, in the Old Testament that the, the angel of the Lord appears to people. And the angel of the Lord is known as a, a Christophany. It's Christ appearing in the form of an angel to human beings. God sometimes broke through by appearing to people. So you have appearances. They're not common, but they happened. Then there were dreams. There were people that would have dreams, and they were, and they were messages straight from God. In, Romans, in, in Genesis chapter 28, we have Jacob. He's got his head laying on a stone, which is never a good way to sleep. And he's laying there, and he starts having this dream about a ladder, and angels are going up the ladder and down the ladder and up the ladder and down the ladder. And it says at the top of this stairway, at the top of the ladder, there was God. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are laying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and giving it to your descendants. Through a dream, he spoke to Jacob. He spoke to Joseph. He spoke to other people throughout Scripture. Beyond dreams, we have visions. Visions are wide-awake dreams. How do you know somebody's having a vision? Very kind of standing there, yeah. They're seeing something that you're not seeing. Something's going on. Something's being revealed to them. Starting with the book of Isaiah, at the beginning it says, these are the visions that Isaiah had. And he, pay, he lays out his visions. Chapter 6, he says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was seated on, a, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. And I saw seraphim flying about him saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And in that moment, I saw my sinfulness and I felt like a wretch. And I cried out. And, and one of the seraphim 
seraphim came along and, and touched, they touched my tongue with a coal and, and gave me forgiveness and gave me purity. He's having this vision of this going on all around him. There are times God spoke as well through a form of special revelation known as miracles or miraculous signs. I love this one. You have this wicked king, poor Daniel. He's being ruled by this wicked king. This king is holding a big old party. He's drunk as a skunk. And all of a sudden, out of the clear blue, a hand appears and starts writing on the wall, etching out a message. And I love what it says because it says, the guy turned white as a sheet and his legs start knocking. He is terrified as this message, this miraculous message is being delivered to to him. Sometimes God used miracles and miraculous events. Then there are times that we just have the direct word of God. In the Old Testament, King James, it was the, the thus saith the Lord moments. These are the times that God, God delivered a message to a prophet and said, this is what God says. And we get the quote of the message that God wants to give to his people. One of the greatest forms of special revelation is a word. And that word is Jesus. John 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the word. I love that John uses the word logos. He uses the word word to define Jesus. This is God's communication. This is God revealing himself. This is God making himself known through a person. He makes himself known through this person, Jesus, who is the creator of all things, who's the reflection of God himself. In verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is a beautiful form of revelation because you have earthbound humans down here that see general revelation, but they don't have the special. They don't have the definition. And you have heaven up here where people cannot see. And the bridge between the two is a person named Jesus who is fully divine and fully human. And he shows us everything we can learn to know about God as well as everything it means to live a perfect human life. We have the revelation of God through the word, through the person of Jesus. And then, of course, we have the written word of God, what we call the Bible or Scripture. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, when Satan is trying to tempt him to make stones into bread, no, the Scriptures say, get that, Jesus himself is acknowledging that there are holy Scriptures, that there are words written that are the word of God. The Scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So God reveals himself generally to get us to go, wow. And in the wow, we start asking the questions, how, why, who? And then he brings along special revelation to start filling in the answers to those questions. The general revelation tells us that God exists. The special revelation lets us know God wants to be known. He wants us to know him. He wants a relationship with us. So that gives us the author of the source. Now, now let's turn to the audience. And in this particular case, we're talking about ourselves as the audience, the recipients of the book. I know, I know there are times that the, you know, the book, the letter was written to the, Philipp, to the people of Philippi or something like that. But today I'm looking at you and me as we're sitting there with that leather-bound book or with the paper one sitting back there on the table or our app and we're taking in the Word of God. We're the audience. And we're trying to determine, is this book trustworthy? 
Now, there are a couple of approaches, probably many approaches, but I want, to do, I want to talk about two approaches. Two approaches that people generally take to the Word of God when they find out about the Word of God and that this is an opportunity to get to know God. They're, they're, as we start to look at the Word of God, we start to have questions. We start to have wonderings. What's this all about? We even start to have doubts. Doubt is not a bad thing. You, you only get to faith when you question. You only get to faith when you have doubts. Faith isn't... I'll pretend I don't have questions. Faith is, I have questions. Where is that leading me? So we start to have wonderings. We start to have questions. And then we have to ask ourselves another question. How will I approach what I've been told is revelation? What's the spirit I'm going to bring to this? How am I going to figure out whether or not this book is trustworthy? And for the most part, there are two approaches that we can take. We can take the approach of skepticism or the approach of cynicism. Now, if you've taken a philosophy class or philosophy classes, uh, forget your classic definitions of these words. I'm talking about a, a, a surface-level definition of these words, okay? Skepticism, skepticism is healthy doubt and questioning that leads to the hard work of investigation. I'm a skeptic. I, I don't know if it's true. There are lots of things in this world that we don't know if they're true. We heard it. We're going to do the hard work to figure it out. Are we, are we going to investigate? When, when we're skeptical, that's kind of, that's a healthy doubt. I wonder, I wonder if this book is true. And we question it. And, and what it leads to is hard work. We decide we're going to do some hard work to figure this out. The other side is not skepticism, but cynicism. Cynicism, I can't even call it a way of thinking. It's a spirit. Cynicism is a spirit that says, I know the answer. Stop messing me with, this, with the facts. My mind's made up. It is a steel trap. I've decided, period, world without end, I know. And it's kind of a, it's, it's a dark way of approaching things. It's an unhealthy doubt and questioning that leads to lack of hard work. More often than not, cynics are not willing to do any hard work. Their mind is already made up. Why do they have to do hard work? Boom, done, over, I know. They make unfounded assertions, and they have basic contempt, just contempt for the idea in the first place. You mentioned the Bible as a possibility. Oh, that's stupid. Who would, who would be dumb enough to even go there? That's the cynic. Now, I'll tell you what, there are a lot of cynics that God has... Uh, kicked off a donkey or hit in the side of the head, and they become devoted Christ followers. But you're going to have a lot easier time getting to the answer to that question if you approach it as a cynic than a skeptic. If you approach it asking sincere questions and doing hard work to get there. What's it going to take to figure out whether or not this book is trustworthy? Well, the fact is, it's going to take some trust. It's going to take some faith. Now, I know some of you are going to, I knew you would say that. Pastors, all, you, you just got to have faith. You just got to trust. It's like, it's like you're thinking, you short-circuited the whole thing. You're saying, don't even think about it. Just, just trust the Bible. Just have faith. Well, well, I'm here today to say that that is not just a religious answer. That is truly, that's the way you live your life. Every person in this room is a person of faith. There are atheists in this room who are people of faith. We all have faith. We all trust. We all, every, you made more faith and trust decisions than you can imagine from the time your eyes opened to the time you made your morning coffee. 
You are constantly living by faith and trust. Let me give you some examples. I want to transport you back to late nine, uh, 2019, early 2020, when this, word, when this word COVID just first started coming on the scene. It, we're, just, we're, just started, we're getting images from China of, of people who, are, who have died. We're getting images of, of sanitation workers on the street in, in white outfits with hoods spraying something on the street. I still don't know what they were spraying, but they're spraying. They're doing all these things. And we're being told that there is a possibility and even a probability that eventually this is going to come to our shores. But we're still kind of we're still kind of wrestling with it. We're still trying to process. We're not sure what it is. We're not sure what to do about it, but we know it's coming. And then we hear that there's this case in, in Washington State, and before you know it, it, the, the drumbeat of COVID is getting louder to the point that we come down to spring, we come down to March, and we're told what would be best right now is if everybody just go to their house, lock up, and stay there for a little bit uh, until we get some things figured out. Think about where you were in that moment, not where you are today, not after 5,000 blog posts and everything else. Think about where you were in that moment when we didn't know, when we just didn't know. I had, you know, I remember driving to church the last time before the quarantine wondering, will I do 10 funerals, 20, 50, my own? I didn't know. I had no idea. And then we were starting to be told this is the way to approach this. Whether it was quarantining, masking, vaccine, the guarantee that you won't get COVID, all these things. We were given these facts. We were given these pieces, right? And what happened as the process went along is we had to start to decide what are we going to trust? Who are we going to trust? And some people chose to trust over here, and some people chose to trust over here, and some people chose to trust over here. You know what? I've not heard anybody from anybody at Southfield ever. I haven't heard anybody that ordered a vial of COVID on Amazon that got a vaccine and said, I'm figuring this out myself. <laughs> Look, it died. Woohoo! None of, none of us did our own experimentation to figure out how to handle this. None of us. We had to trust somebody. We had to believe someone. You're a person of faith whether you believe it or not. Sometimes you choose to trust even though you don't have the answer directly. Now you're like, oh, I did not want to hear about COVID today. Okay, let's talk about something far less controversial. Butter. I love butter. Butter's the best. Right now it's $3.99 a little pound and I'm like, it is worth a buck a stick. I love butter. I put butter on everything. I put butter on things you should not put butter on. And if you salt your butter, it's even better. I love butter. It's the best. I go to the store. I get my box of butter or the two pack that's just a little cheaper than the one. I get my butter. I put it in the grocery cart and I drive it home and the whole way I'm thinking, butter, it changes everything. It's the best, right? It's just the best. Ah. You know, I've never, I've never made my toast in the morning and put my six to eight slabs of butter on my toast and thought, I wonder if that's really butter. Maybe Land Lakes is tricking us. Maybe they're, maybe they're putting together some cheaper yellow ooze, putting it in a stick. How do we know? How do we? I haven't gone to the factory and seen them pour in the cream and add a little salt. I, how do we know? How do we? 
We don't know. Where's my tinfoil hat? We don't know. How do we know? How do we know? I trust it's butter and it's good. I just trust it. I believe it. I believe them. Now, some of you, some of you buy organic, right? Because you like paying more. You buy organic. <laughs> you buy organic. You're willing to pay twice as much for magic butter. It's amazing. And for oats and all this stuff. And you know, and you, can you imagine somebody in the organic Quaker oats department going, here, I found some pesticide-ridden oats. <laughs> we got them now. You know, they would never do that. There are government regulations. <laughs> You're adorable. I love you. Yeah, we have to try. We're going to take gluten-free communion this morning. Or is it? Not really sure. This morning... I had somebody who wanted to get baptized, and so I pull out the app, pull out the weather app. I, I believe, I believe the radar. All the other stuff's just guessing, but the radar's real, right? And I, I open up the app, and the red streak of death was upon us. I mean, it was bad. Within 15 minutes, it was going to be thunder, lightning, tornado, death. I believe it. 15 minutes later, there isn't even a drop. I'm like, what's going on? Who's behind this radar? Is radar real? Is this, is this, what, what, is, what, are you getting it? We are all people of faith. We all try. You can't know everything yourself. We're finite. We can't figure it all out on our own. We have to believe some other people. We have to put our faith in some other people. And so when I say that you've got to approach the Bible by faith, please don't pretend that you're not already a person of faith. You're a person of faith all over the place. So why won't you take that same spirit and bring it to the Word of God? I love the words on our front wall that say, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. The God of heaven said, I am here, and I want to answer your who and your why and your how questions. And so we'll take the time to hopefully get to this point that we can say, yes, I can trust the Bible. I can trust the Bible. I'm willing to enter into a relationship with God through his inspired word. And so, Father God, our prayer right now is that you will help us to realize that we were people of faith all along. We choose to believe. Even when we can't prove it, we choose to believe. Give us a spirit that approaches your word in such a way that we start receiving the answers to the questions we've had all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night the Lord was betrayed, he took bread. When he broke it, he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat of it, remember me. He took the cup. He said, this cup represents a new covenant, a new way, a new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink of this cup, you remember me and you proclaim my death until I come again. And so this morning, as, as we approach communion, whether the table's at the front, the back, the, the gluten-free on the side, it is gluten-free. We tested it. <laughs> Wherever you might go for communion today, remember, the Word is speaking to you. The Word Jesus wants to communicate to you.
Let's be ready to listen. Sing two songs. One of them is the, we've sung this song literally ever since we came into the building, sang it at the first service we were in here uh, almost eight years ago. And that song um, is a, it's a response to that wow. It's just a reflection on the absolute greatness of God. And then the other song we're going to sing is brand new, first time we've ever done it. Had fun being at rehearsal the other night and listening to it. And as I watched and listened to the team running through it a number of times, to me the song felt like it starts like a walk. The song just, the song just feels like you're on kind of a, a happy walk going down a path. You know, just like, just like life. We're just kind of, we're walking along thinking. And, and, then, and then there comes this point as we're thinking that we start to get more and more excited. And, 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 and the walk erupts into just mad joy. And, and then after a while, we, we, we head back to the walk. It reminded me of all the times that Shelly and I would sit and watch Enchanted. And, you know, and the princess and her, and her boyfriend would be walking through, walking through Central Park. And she starts to sing. And all of a sudden, everything's joining in. Birds are singing. The whole works. It feels like that. And then, boom, we're just, we're just back to us, just, walk, just walking along the path once again. So I hope it hits you the same way. If not, I'm nuts. No big deal. <laughs> Let's stand. And we're going to have a great time of worship together. Isn't that fun? I love that. This week, when you're following me down the road and I'm swerving, I'm not texting, I promise. I'm playing my drums and singing along and having a good time. Love that song. I love the message of it. Our God is speaking. He is speaking. He speaks through his word. He is not silent. He has things he wants us to know. So open your ears to listen. Have the faith to hear him. You have faith for everything else in the universe. Why not have faith in God? Why not have faith in God? So as you leave today, down here on this side, Stephanie will be here to pray with you if you need prayer. And uh, Julie and I will be down here so that you can go ahead and come say hi, perhaps even get your picture taken so that we can get to know you a little better. Names matter. Your names matter. We want to know you. So we'll see you next week.